passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Choo-choo, last road trip of the season. Heading to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. A must-win for the Black and Gold. Really is must-win. Losing uh, any shot at the playoffs is over. Uh, the Tampa Bay wins, and they take a division crown for a third straight season. And uh, obviously still a lot of questions around this team going into the matchup. And we'll talk about some of the injury news we got coming up. Uh, some comments that Bobby Bear made towards Mickey Loomis that kind of, I guess you would say, upset. Yeah, I guess you could say upset. I, I think it was more of sh- it's just it, anytime Mickey talks now, everyone has this like visceral reaction. Like, He's ah, this guy. Off by the question. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, we'll, we'll get into that. That's something we can talk about in the final segment. Uh, and then obviously we're going to have JC Allen, uh, you know, Bucks reporter here to kind of break down what to expect because we still have games to play. You know, it it is funny because like, I think the resounding idea on social media these days is that 
is that the Saints don't have a chance to make the playoffs, and I understand that. But the fact is they do. So it's like you're, you're not going to hear that take from the coaches and GMs because they're still playing for something. But I guess my first question, Steve, is do grits expire? See, that's that's a great question from a Yankee that I don't know either. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't imagine they do. I how it's corn, right? It's just like right. it's just like grain. Like how could it how could it expire? But I, you know, I had a I had grits this morning for breakfast, and on the bag it said expired in May, and I was like, I think I'm going to risk it. So if if Jeff ends up getting sick during this cast, we know what happened. Well, what's the worst that happens? Like what, what what could go like I get like milk is gross and like curdles and stuff but it's like it's anyway it's not like not like there's mold in there because that's my go-to breakfast I make some grits I fry two eggs just try to make some potatoes I throw in the bowl it's a good time that's what I had for breakfast this morning and uh the expired grits taste the same as the non-expired grits I think at a certain point you're just putting labels on something just to scare you <laughs> you know just to make it so they have to restock the shelves and buy more but Talking about expired grits, you know, <laughs> I, I did. Well, what happened in Denver this week was very funny. And I know people get annoyed with us continuing to talk about Sean Payton and his antics, but I do appreciate that the NFL at large is kind of finally discovering how much of a dick Sean Payton is. Because <laughs> the man just benched Russell Wilson. And the irony of the situation is that. Sean Payton is benching Russell Wilson to start the same quarterback who Derek Carr was benched for in Las Vegas because it's going to be Jarek Stidham. And it didn't even dawn on me until we were talking to Derek Carr yesterday and he was asked about it. And he was just like, oh, is Stiddy starting? And I was like, oh, he's got a nickname. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 just, I just can't help but wonder. It's like, why would you go to Denver? If you were, you know, not even like the slightest bit committed to Russ, right. why would we even take that job? What, what, he must have hated broadcasting. He must have, what, regardless of what he said, he must have been like, get me the F out of here. Because, I mean, that, that's not a good situation, right? Like, it, it, it's only a good situation if you have the quarterback. Now, he doesn't have the quarterback. They don't have a second round pick. And they don't really have a good enough pick that they can or assets that they can go up and and trade for a high pick to get the quarterback. So Yeah, because that that hole they gave up for us was pretty phenomenal. I I just wonder it's like maybe maybe he wants Taysom Hill. <laughs> Funny would that be? I wonder if Sean's having any regret now about leaving New Orleans. Well, I mean like I don't think the like I mean based on how things have gone in New Orleans since he left, I don't I mean I don't think it would have been that much better, but you know, it's just like you 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 could have just waited out the Chargers. That's what I'll, I mean. I think a lot of people were anticipating that it seemed like the perfect fit. You had the quarterback obviously ready and waiting in Herbert, but no, he he went with Denver, and now it's Broncos country. Let's ride the bench. And I am fascinated. So where does Russ end up? Right, you know where. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe he wants to trade for Derek Carr. Maybe they should trade Russ for Derek Carr straight up. Maybe that'll work. Because <laughs> um, Russ will start somewhere, right? Maybe New York, the Giants, the Jets have Aaron Rodgers. I'm just like, he's going to end up somewhere. He's not going to retire. I don't think he's good. Yeah, I'm maybe trying to think. Too. They're, they're definitely, there should be a landing spot for Russ somewhere. But yeah, I'm not quite sure. 
or where that's going to be either. But I mean, the the relationship from right from the very beginning seemed tumultuous between those two, and obviously has not gotten any better. No, it's a, it's a well, it's like it kind of looked awkward from the outside, and then you see it now. It's like okay, it was awkward the whole time, and we we're not imagining that. The fact of games they did is kind of remarkable. Uh, but I mean, it's like you try to figure out, it's like, so, you know, uh, Tampa, what are they going to do? We can talk about that. That's what I want to talk to JC about because, you know, we're going to talk about Tampa a lot. And I think Tampa was setting this thing up to break, right? They were setting it up. They were building it to spill and it didn't spill. And now they're kind of in the situation the Seahawks were in last year where it was like, we didn't anticipate having to pay Gino $140 million, but I guess we have to have to right uh, you know um and, and so like that's going to be interesting to talk about uh but like he's got to go somewhere and i just don't know where that is like green bay's got a young quarterback right minnesota maybe minnesota maybe minnesota's the answer because it's a team that seems like it has weapons right and but again it's like who's paying that guy is he gonna anyway it's that's gonna be a really fascinating thing to watch this offseason but you know another another fascinating thing that we're gonna watch this offseason and that's gonna be playing out over the final two weeks is Young players on the Saints and kind of to me, I think it's important to kind of evaluate who the the core young players are on this roster because there are a there are a, a decent number of them. I don't think there are enough, and I don't think there are enough you know like star young like young players that you can see developing into star players, right? Like there are a handful of them, and we're gonna go through them. But one of the one of the question marks, wow. I have some that I feel good about and some that I still have some question marks on. And one of those players is Alante Taylor, just because, you know, they kind of shifted him into this slot corner role. I don't think it's gone particularly well, but it's like I don't want to judge him too harshly from a career arc on mm-hmm. struggling in a role that was probably never his ideal role to begin with. Yeah, And that's being in the slot. And he obviously got benched in week 16. And it's like, I think it, there's a, there's always a good, que- like a, like an interesting thing to watch of like, okay, how does a young player deal with getting benched? And one of the things I like the most about Alante Taylor is his mindset and his approach to things. And so here's, here's a clip of just him talking in the locker room on, on Wednesday and kind of breaking down, you know, what happened, blah, blah, blah. What was your pulse of, of why the switch was made during the game and how did you react to it? Really just because I had some situations later in the game, really that series where uh, my eyes got bad and some, some explosive plays were, were made. Um, the way I reacted, um, it wasn't the best reaction on the sideline, um, but you know I had guys uh, kind of rally around me as far as like Tyron and Carr, uh, Jonathan Abram. Uh, Keith Kirkwood, those guys kind of came up to me, talked to me, um, kind of calmed me down a little bit. And from there, I just cheered on uh, Ugo and the rest of the team from the rest of the game. And what do you mean by eyes being bad? Like, what, what does that well, mean? Well, you know, the Rams, they do a lot of motioning. Um, and there was times where um, <clears throat> the guys was like motioning, and then I was looking at the wrong person or like the wrong gap. Uh, so whenever it came to the run game, I wasn't fitting certain gaps. And there were certain times where uh, I should have like bumped out with a receiver or a tight end or whatever, and I ended up just kind of locking on my guy. Uh, so I learned a lesson for me, um, but you know I've grown from it. Uh, so now we're we're getting ready for Temple, so I'm not so much worried about it. Do you think you're getting every opportunity to, to get right back in there? Yeah, I'm, I mean I'm back in the starting lineup. Uh, you know, like nothing like nothing happened before. Uh, so I'm taking advantage of my reps now, and uh, like I said, just getting ready for Temple. Does the preparation change for you this week of practice? Like maybe I guess focusing more on like you mentioned, like the eye test and things like that. Um, not 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 really. Um, I feel like. 
for me, it was more so of just trying to make too many plays instead of letting the plays come to me. Uh, so, you know, I got to look inside um, and just do my job and just put my eyes in the right place. And, um, you know, Tampa, they don't do as much motioning, but, you know, if they look at last week's game, they feel like they want to do that. Uh, you know, I'm up for the challenge. Um, you know, we, we work on that now, and I've been watching a lot of tape on last week's game. Um, so I'm going to be all right. And, yeah, I mean, that's what you heard from the coaches, right? Like, that's, that's what kind of what Dennis Allen said after the game. He got beat with his eyes a couple times. You know, uh, he was on the sideline. That guy got a good look at it. You know, he was kind of sulking on the bench. Uh, Derek Carr, Tyron Matthew, Keith Kirkwood, Jonathan Abram, you know, a lot of yay rah, rah guys, you know. Uh, they all came up to him and, you know, gave him a pep talk. He eventually got up, started cheering on the team. Uh, he admitted it wasn't a good reaction from him. He should have handled it better. But but I think, like, you know, I don't I, – I think in a lot of instances, a young player – the first open locker room session or second, I guess, cause they had an open locker room on Monday, but like the first kind of after the first practice following getting benched to stand in front of your locker and not only talk to the media, but invite the media over. Cause that's what happened is, you know, he was just like, you guys want to talk, come on. And he, and it's like, that's a very mature way to approach that. Sure, and, yeah. you know, you look at a guy who I think is going to be a core piece of this team going forward. And, there's a lot of ways that could have gone. There's a lot of ways you can react to that scenario, and I thought he handled it very well. And again, I don't know if he's going to get better in the slot. I don't think his future is as a slot corner in the NFL, so I need to see him continuing to engage, and I think that's what he is doing. You know, I asked Derek Carr, you know, how he kind of responded uh, because Derek was one of the players that talked to him on the sideline, and, you know, he, he said he's responded well. You know, he, from what he can tell, he had a good day of practice. Obviously, they're not on the same side of the ball. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, I think, again, I'm, I spent a good time this morning looking at, like, okay, who are the core players? And he's one of them. Um, I think, you know, it's it's funny because you look at a team that has Marshawn Lattimore, but I also look at a team that has to try to reset the deck somehow. And I do like that core group of Paul Sanadibo and Alante Taylor. However, it shapes out over the next four or five years. I think that is kind of your building group of corners. Um, cause Marshawn, while still very, very good is 28 and is he 28? How old is Marshawn? He's 27. He'll be 28 before the start of next season. So, I mean, like what, if, if you're like me and you kind of see this as a long-term kind of re restocking of the locker room of the roster so that maybe in two, three years, you can be back to a title contender. Marshawn really can't be part of that group because he's just, he, by that point, he will be out of his prime. So I think guys like Alante Taylor, Paulson Debo, those are important. So I, I appreciated how he how he reacted to all of that this week. Yeah, I, I'm just curious, when are the Saints, Dennis Allen, going to stop the experiment of Alante in the slot and, and put him back on the outside? I mean, I don't think it's going to be this year. Right. Um, will, will we see that happen, though, next season kind of thing? Because I don't know. To me, when we talked to him early on, even in training camp, I just got that vibe from him that he wasn't, necessarily thrilled about this move in general and I, and I don't think it has been and it has worked out well this year now I mean early in camp he was competing for the outside corner job it wasn't until late in camp that he really got shifted he was getting some backup slot reps but it wasn't until the end that he shifted late and I mean I think that the the equation is okay do you want him an outside corner or do you want him in the nickel because if you keep him at outside corner behind Paulson Debo and Marshawn Lattimore he's not playing and I think the idea is you know you get your best players on the field and I do think that getting him reps this season was more valuable than having him sit behind Marshawn. 
uh, in Alante. I'm sorry, in Paulson. So in that frame, I, I understand it. And right now, it doesn't make sense to change midstream. But yeah, I mean, like going into the next season, that's kind of that's why you know we talked about it. And, and I know that there's contract issues that you have to figure out and be a lot of dead money. But if if you shift into asset collection mode, my first step would be trying to figure out how can you kind of rebuild your asset, your war chest, right? And I think Marshawn, despite all that dead money, um, would be would be valuable because in, it would you would be able to stomach it because you would end up starting younger players who are on smaller contracts and you know you would be able to stomach some of that debt. But anyway, that's a, that's another conversation for another day. Well, right. what I do want to talk about. So I came up with a list of like, okay, the core young players on this roster. Yeah, because um, there are a good number of them, but like there, there, are, there are way more with question marks than I'd like to see. So on the defense, the players, the young players that I feel like are a part of the future. And this is generally like 27 or younger. And it's really younger than that. I just put it at 27 because Carl Granderson's 27 and I want him on this list. But he's a little older just because he got a later start. But for, in terms of tread on the tires, he's a young 27, if that makes sense. It, because he's only played so many snaps in the NFL. So I still view him as a guy. He's going on to his second contract. He's going to be here for a while. So And he's played well. He's getting better. He's ascending. So he's on my list. So Carl Granderson is one of those guys. There are three players that I have stars next to in the sense that I am convinced these will be star players over the next four or five years. So Paulson Adebo on the defense, there's two of them. Paulson Adebo and Carl Granderson. Those are the two starting kind of star caliber players that you expect to continue to get better. will probably be a Pro Bowl ceiling um by by the time they kind of reach their peak beyond that on the defense cornerback Alante taylor i still really like his game defensive tackle brian brzee linebacker pete warner safety jordan howden those are the only players that i'm confirmed feel like these are starting players next season for you on the defense that's not enough (laughs) that is not enough in terms of you need young players to build with you know, I, I like the cornerbacks. I like Brian Brzee. I like these players, but you don't see an edge rusher on there, do you? I guess no. you have Carl Granderson, right? But you don't you don't see like young edge. Even if you eliminate Carl Granderson from this list because he's 27, uh, you don't have a young edge rusher that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy's developing. He'll be really good in a few years. Now, no, yeah, we just haven't seen enough of anything from Foskey. You'd love to have him right. on the list, but just haven't seen it, right? There are a few players... There are a few players that I have labeled UG, and he's one of them in terms of Peyton Turner, Isaiah Foskey. You know, they just can't stay on the field. They can't stay healthy. And so I'm not selling on Isaiah yet, but it's just it's just another episode of like, this is the entire season, right? It's not like you, you yeah. had like a two-game stretch where you had an ankle injury. It's like you've missed half the season with a quad injury. And he's back at he's back at practice this week. He looks like he's trending in the right direction to potentially return maybe this week or next week. But you've effectively missed a good chunk of your rookie season and and the the chunk of it that you really had an opportunity with Cam Jordan dealing with an injury. You're not there. You've not been able to take advantage of it. So it's just another UG. And after dealing with Marcus Davenport, Peyton Turner, it's just like another another installment in the injured defensive end show that we've seen uh and it's it's made all the more frustrating by the fact that we've seen a guy in cam jordan who never misses games <laughs> so you know it's possible <laughs> you know yeah um so like that's that's really it you know and i still i think peyton turner i think he uh, you know you're not you're not cutting him 
So it's just like you're going to go into next season. Hopefully, you know, I'm hoping that he can get back for the final two games and maybe gain some momentum so that next season you go into it and like, okay, maybe this is the time. But, you know, after three years of just injury, 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 it's just hard to it's hard. It's hard to believe that he can get through even 12 games of a season. So that's frustrating to me. Yeah, the the scouting department on their defensive ends has just done a a wonderfully awful job of finding guys that are just always banged up. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's like, is it a scouting thing? It's just like, it's there seems to be an element of randomness there that I don't know if you can no, scout it. Right, right. Uh, but but I mean, like like a quad injury, like it's not like that's. Yeah, we saw in college, he was leaning on that quad a little too hard. I don't know how it works, but yes, that's frustrating. Now, on the offensive side, and that's the thing, on the defensive side, you actually have a lot more names than you have on the offensive side. On the offensive side, I only have three names that I'm very confident in, in terms of these are young players, reasonably young players, uh, that that are going to be a part of your future. So one is center Eric McCoy, who's somehow only 26. I feel like he's been around forever. He was He was drafted in 2018. Um, he was the first pick off the board in 2018 because you didn't have that first round pick because of the March, uh, the Cam Dur- Marcus Davenport trade. But he's been very good. You also had CJ Gardner Johnson in that draft. It'd be nice to still have him around, but you know whatever. Then the other two wide receiver Chris Olave and wide receiver Rashid Shahid. Those Agreed. are the only yeah. three that I'm like looking at as for sure. You are our starter next year, and and I'm not worried about it. Beyond that, there are a handful of players that I'm putting on the fringe, but not completely confident in yet. One is probably the most disappointing player of the season in terms of expectations versus reality in tight end Juwan Johnson. If you had asked me going into this season, I'd have been like, he's for sure the long-term tartar, tartar, starter at tight end. And now you're just like, I guess, you know, maybe I would, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind an upgrade to put it that way. No, that was definitely, like you said, one of the big disappointments of how we were raving during training camp. And it just, I don't know, for whatever reason, has not materialized this year among many things. <laughs> yeah, the other one is guard Cesar Ruiz, which I think Cesar has been fine. I really was hoping he would take a, a bigger leap this year, and I and I just haven't seen it. And, and here's the thing. He's a first-round draft pick Yeah, at guard. And I saw someone tweet, I think it might have been Matt Miller, he tweeted, like, how good does a guard or a center have to be for you to take them in the first round? And it's like, no, they have to be like a Quentin Nelson-type player, an impact player, to be a legit first-round pick at guard, at interior line. And Caesar has not been – like, he's been solid. But he, you can find solid guards. I mean, first-round caliber guards, they got to make impacts, and I haven't seen that from him. So that's why I have him on the fringe. No, I agree totally with uh, your list, unfortunately, and you think – with the draft capital invested, obviously, at O-line and what we've talked about with D-line, there'd be more to talk about there. The, the, the Trevor Penning experiment is a huge question to me, and I'm just wondering, uh, does that does that things change next year for him, maybe with a new O-line coach? I really don't know. Trevor Penning is on my UGG list. Yeah. Not UGG, but UGH. You know, we're not talking about boots. <laughs> um, I imagine you have to try to get him involved. Like you have to try to get him, you know, maybe next year going into it, you, you're just like, we're going to give him another shot. Whether it's that left tackle or guard, you got to do it. He's a first round pick. You got to find a way. But I mean, I'm not feeling great about that. Obviously the other two players I have on the fringe for the saints, 
in terms of the offense. Wide receiver A.T. Perry, running back Kendra Miller. I think both have flashed. Like, I think they've both looked fine. Kendra's a guy who's dealt with injuries, could be back this week. Um, but I do think what you've seen out of him in a season where you didn't expect a ton behind Alvin and Jamal has been has but you've seen him be explosive and AT Perry you've also seen him be explosive so I feel decently about those but I'm not going to slot them in as starters yet in terms of I just haven't seen enough there's a few others that I think are kind of interesting you look at future players and and potential so wide receiver Shaq Davis he's on the practice squad I still like him the linebacker DeMarco Jackson he's been a special teams guy but I think you know, as you go forward, you're going to try to incorporate him more. Nephi Sewell's in that group, too. I like Nephi um, a lot. Nick Saldaveri, just a guy we haven't seen any of, but I'm right. still like, they drafted him for a reason. I think you're developing and hopefully at a certain point, you'll be able to get him in there. And then Jay Kaner, who knows? These are guys that I just have no grade on because we haven't seen them, at least in the sense of the actual offense or defense. DeMarco's obviously played well on special teams, and he'll stay around for that reason alone. And I, you know, I'd probably be Craig Robertson type as you go forward with maybe some upside, but that's kind of my list. Those are, that's the entire list. And so you look at it and you say, okay, it's a 53 man roster. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, only 20 players of that 53 man roster would qualify for even any of these. And that's including seven players who are on the either UG or no grade at all list. So you're talking about 13 players effectively that you're looking at and saying, yeah, these are contributing young core players and the rest are veterans or whatever. And that's when I look at this roster and I say, it's just, it just doesn't profile well. The trajectory is not good. That's what I'm talking about. Is that the, the numbers on this list are not big enough. Unfortunately, yeah, the, the, the draft hasn't been a spot where this team's you know, made the, the the draft maybe later rounds has been successful, but man, those picks in the early rounds have really been a disappointment. And obviously that's hurting him tremendously right now. Yeah, I, I think, and this is something I want to talk about in a later episode. One of the issues I have is the strategy, not so much. You know, like I think their hit rate in the draft is reasonably, is a decent number just in terms of how many picks you make versus how many times you find a decent player in the draft. I think the issue has been the number of darts you've had to throw at the board has not been enough because you've, the way the Saints operate is they trade up, they try to go get their guy. Well, that yeah. works when the, the guy is right, <laughs> right? That works when it's Chris Olave. When it's Trevor Penning, that, then it's a huge problem because you don't have the volume, so you can't make up for that. Um, and so that's going to be something I think we can get into as well. Maybe starts this week, who knows? And uh, we'll be able to get into that with our guest who's coming on, J.C. Allen, Bucks reporter and writer for Bucks Game Day. And, you know, he, he was on here earlier this season and – I feel like the conversation went a certain way. It's going to be interesting to see how the conversation goes this time because if I was covering the Bucks right now, I would be so smug in terms of how the season has gone. And so we will we will be getting into it. But this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Otherwise, stick around. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center 
drinkers and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Here on Inside Black and Gold, getting into the segment, getting ready for Bucks eight and seven, Saints seven and eight, and we're bringing in J.C. Allen, Bucks reporter and writer for Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated Bucks game day. He also hosts a podcast called Pirate Parlay. It's not about betting; it's about pirates. As it's about as the Bucks, as you might have guessed. <laughs> um, but you know, you know, J.C. It's funny because you look at these two teams. One is eight and seven. One is seven and eight. And I think in a different world, you'd be like, well, both these teams are terrible. But I think because right. of how the Bucks approach this season, it's only a one game difference, but right. it feels like a huge difference in terms of how these seasons have gone for Tampa compared to New Orleans. And I'm just curious, so what's the what's the vibe of these days around around this team? Oh, all positivity. Uh, they, they know they control their own destiny. They know a win against the Saints. Locks up the NFC South, gives them the four seed, and, and you know, um, you know, kind of cements uh, possibly a winning record um, for the first time since two years ago. Last year was obviously one of those, yeah. you know, up and down seasons. But I, I think when you look at it, the Bucks started out three and one, went on a one and six game losing streak, won four in a row with a chance to potentially win two more and finish out the season on a six game win streak. Um, you look at this team, and a lot of people counted them out right off the get. You know, they're going to have a top three pick, but the talent on this team has always been there. It's always, you know, you looked at it and you're like, how is this team, even with Baker Mayfield, who I thought got the benefit, uh, didn't get the benefit of the doubt. You look at him, what he came in to deal with in the league. Uh, he had his best season when he was healthy in 2020. Then last, you know, his, his last season in, in Cleveland, he was all sorts of banged up. Last year was never a fit anyways. We talked about that schematically and everything. The first time I was on this show, and, you know, it took a while for the offense to kind of get the system, get the scheme, get the concept, especially in the run game. But now that they have, you've seen the offensive output the last couple of games. They've been able to move the ball uh, down the field, been able to put points on the board. Um, and the defense has really kind of tightened up a little bit, too, to, to prevent these teams from, from moving the ball. They're still letting up a lot of explosive plays down the field, but the red zone defense is one of the best in the league. Uh, obviously, you mentioned with Baker Mayfield, what has been the key with him the last couple games? Dude's been on a heater, and obviously the biggest key, right. not turning over the ball. Right, yeah, I think it's it's you know a firm grasp of the system. Remember, he was in that quarterback competition in the offseason with Kyle Trask, so he split half of those snaps. So he had to – it took – it was going to take him a while, A, to get the system down at the back of his hand because he had to make up all those snaps and then B get on that same chemistry and wavelength with his players. And you're seeing that now they're starting to have the same chemistry, the, the chemistry is there. 
Um, he knows the system inside and out. Dave Canales, the uh, rookie offensive play caller, his play calling and sequencing has gotten much better. The run game, I had uh, Dave Canales on my podcast earlier, and he said, you know, even in Seattle, it took about half a season for the guys up front to really get the blocking schemes and get what we're trying to do in the run game. And once that we hit that turning point, you know, you saw the success and, you know, that's kind of what happened this year. The run game has been much better, which has made it easier for Baker. His decision-making has been better. Uh, did play against Carolina. So, I mean, you kind of throw that one out there too, but they had just gotten all the weapons back from IR. So, you know, you kind of look at that as well, but anytime you're facing a Joe Barry offense, a defense, I guess, you know, that's a gimme as well. But I think when you look at the situation, uh, that Baker was in uh, in previous years. And this year, there was always that what if, right? What if he's healthy? What if he's in a system that highlights his strengths? And you're seeing that right now play out in the last four games. Yeah, I do I do wonder, you know, as, it kind of reminds me of the situation Seattle was in last year where you, you move on from Russ and you kind of bring in, you bring in Geno Smith and everyone's like, oh, this is kind of just a, just a walkover year. You're, he's keeping right. the seat warm for whoever they're going to end up drafting. And then he plays well. Ryan Hunter ruins that draft pick at the end of the day. Like, I don't know if Seattle is happier now because of that, but you know, obviously they, they are competitive. They have a chance to make the playoffs. So, right. you know, but, but they did pay, they did pay Gino. Right. And mm-hmm. so I do wonder, you know, Baker's on that one year deal. What do you do? Do you can, do you kind of, cause I feel like the, the, it was kind of built to tear, right? Like it was never a, it was never a, we're going to bring in Baker and see if he's the QB of the future. It was more, and correct me if I'm wrong. It was more like, okay, we're going to see what happens this year and move on. But I think the idea was always, there's a lot of QBs in this draft. We can find our next starter and we're not going to over sell anything this year that limits us down the road. Well, well, you you think, do you have a quarterback that's played well enough to give him that, you know, I don't know, whatever that Geno level deal is. I I think you do. And I think when the the Bucs ultimately, when they walked in the season, they're like, well, let's see what we have, right? He's a formal number one overall pick. He's immensely talented. It's not like this guy hasn't been talented. He he went through three offensive coordinators and three head coaches in his first three seasons. You know, um, when he finally got some stability, he had his best season, led the Browns to the playoffs in the first time since however long. Um, The next year he's hurt, wearing a shoulder sling, can barely throw the ball. They decide to go get Deshaun Watson. That hasn't worked out well for them. And again, he went to a Matt Rule system. Matt Rule was fired quickly. That system just was not fit for what what his strengths are. They didn't have all the pieces around him. Um, and, and they moved on from him. But when you look at, you know, what the Bucs envisioned, hey, if we're competitive, we're winning this, you know, going to win this division, maybe make a, a small splash in the playoffs, then why not stick with Baker? You look at the landscape around the field right now um, in free agency at quarterback, Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins coming off an Achilles. He's most likely going back to Minnesota anyways. Do you really want to roll the dice with Ryan Tannehill? No, you probably don't. Do you want to reunite with Jameis Winston? No, you probably don't. You know, so like if everything worked out, you weren't going to be in a position to to get one of those guys, to get a Drake May, to get a, a Caleb Williams, and, you know, to get a Jaden Daniels who's come out of nowhere really kind of this season and really put up phenomenal stats or – you know, maybe you're in the range for a Michael Penix or a Bo Nix, one of those guys, maybe a Mike McCarthy, ew. But I I don't I don't JJ McCarthy. JJ McCarthy. JJ, whatever. J, both of them. Mike is know. the head coach of the Cowboys. Yeah, both they're both <laughs> terrible. But no, um, I think like, you know, when you look at it, sure, maybe you get one of those guys in the first round, but then you're at that point you're probably 
not going to start them right away. You're not going to throw them right in the fire. So you need a guy. So I think the plan was if Baker performs well, if the offense does well, if the if the team does well, then yes, we'll bring this guy back. At three years, $75 million, that's 25. That's a lower, lower end of the quarterback market. And I think that's a fair deal. Um, he wants to be in Tampa, which is huge for their negotiation process. And they, they're going to want him back, you know. And at the end of the day, it's still $75 million less than the Saints gave Derek Carr. So what can you do? That's fair. Hey, you look at the, uh, the that Buccaneers receiving core, uh, obviously Mike Evans, someone who leads the way for them. Guy, number one in receiving touchdowns right now uh, in the yeah. NFL. Just talk about how much that develop, the, the relationship with him and Baker has developed since the beginning of the season. I just um, It just seems more and more confidence Baker has in him to just throw it up, and he knows he's going to get it. Yeah, Mike is just he's he's always been an underrated performer. Um, you know, his route running is is super underrated. It's not just a deep ball jump guy, go get it, you know. I, Chris Godwin is probably a better contested catch receiver than Mike Evans and you're starting to see that the ability of the last 3 seasons really with Byron Leftwich were all about, you know, long developing routes, um, vertical routes, you know, no risk it, no biscuit type deal. And by last year it worked the first two years because you had Gronk and AB and all these other guys around you to focus on. The last year when you could just too high Mike the whole game and take him yeah. out of it, it was difficult for him to, to get production, especially because the offense was so antiquated. Teams knew what they were doing. They didn't change a damn thing since 2020, <laughs> you know, except their tight end, the Kate Otten. That's like, that's, they didn't, and they're running back. Like they, they knew what teams were going to do against them what the Bucks were going to do with it, and they played their hand. This year, Mike's lining up all over the place. He's lining up in the slot. The depth of his routes have changed. He's still that guy who can go down, take the, take a guy down the seam and win one-on-one, but a lot of what they're doing now is moving him around all over the field so he's not getting these tight releases where he's able to get some space in his releases and, and confuse some of the safeties and, and, and manufacture some of these one-on-ones instead of just, you know, beating his man or – them having, if you're the Panthers, having a mental lapse and not doubling Mike, you know, um, he, they're, they're able to do that. And, and Baker relies and trusts him so much because of the, the connection that they have and because of the track record. I mean, Mike, he's one of the best guys to do it in the league. Um, and he's proven that. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer. If you take out tight ends, he's 10th all time in touchdown receptions. He's climbing up the yardage list as well. Um, and when you have a guy like that, you know he can make plays, so you so you know you find him make plays. It's been all season, and you know uh, it's come alive the last couple of weeks for sure with you know the two touchdown games and just getting him um, in these situations. And that a lot of that credit goes to Dave Canales too, is just putting him in these situations to to thrive. And Baker realizing I've got the guy, I'm gonna give the ball to the guy yeah. and make some magic happen. <laughs> yeah, and I mean he's not gonna he's not gonna have to deal with Marshawn Lattimore this time. So I right. I, I am. I am very worried about, about what Mike what Mike might be doing in this game. But I, I'm curious, you know, this is one of the these second these rematches are always kind of fascinating in terms of the chess match of like what works in week four versus you know how you might try to change that up. So I, I guess what I know the run game has really picked up for the for the Bucks over this winning streak. And you know, what has been different for this team compared to what the Saints saw early in the year? It seems like there's pretty good health in terms of you haven't seen a ton of changes necessitated by that on the Bucks side, whereas on the Saints side, it's a very different looking roster based on uh, the health. 
Right. One of the things other than Russell Gage and Ryan Jensen is the Bucks don't have anyone on long-term injured reserve. So health has been a huge um, on, on the side of them for sure. Carlton Davis is in concussion protocol. They've had guys out for a few games at a time, but no in long-term. So they've been able to get a lot of those guys back, which has been huge for them um, as far as no season-ending injuries. Knock on wood. This is actually particle board. Let me knock on the real wood. Uh, um, but no, I, I think, you know, that's part of it. But like I mentioned, the running game getting going, the system, Baker knowing the system better. Dave Canals finding his groove as a play caller and a sequencer because, I mean, that was his fourth ever game calling plays at the NFL level. So, you know, having all this experience and the experience with the young guys too. You know, you look at guys like Christian Izian, who was playing his fourth ever game at, at Nickel. Now he's got a ton of experience. Yaya Diaby has really come on. He's been the starter for the last five games. He's probably on pace to win defensive rookie of the year right now. Had a one and a half sack, two sack performance. However you call them, a sack is a sack to me. But forced fumble, fumble recovery. He's just been lights out over the last couple of weeks. Kalaja Kansi, who you guys didn't get to see in week one, has been a force as well. He's right up there. They're one, two in tackles for loss. He's an explosive get in the backfield type of guy. They've got other guys who've gotten snaps too. Kayvon Merriweather at safety if he needs to come in. Uh, so they've got a lot of young guys. They had a lot of undrafted guys. They had a lot of drafted guys come in and make make plays. Payne Durham has stepped up. He made a really nice catch last week. Um, he's not going to be used a ton, but you know there's another tight end weapon that they have to, to use at their at their disposal. Cade Otten's blocking has night and day from week four. So there's quite a few changes. Not much in personnel wise. Just as experience-wise, um, whether that's in the system, whether that's the young guys getting play, whether that's uh, the offensive coordinator um, getting that experience throughout the system, I would say experience is probably the biggest thing from week four to now in cohesiveness, you know, experience in the run block. So, I mean, I, I think that would be the biggest change from now. But the personnel grouping is still pretty much the same. They did make a change at left guard with Aaron Sinney coming in from Matt Filer. But other than that, that's about it. Also impressive with this Buck squad. Uh, <laughs> they're a plus 10, uh, obviously, in the plus-minus giveaway-takeaway ratio. Uh, not getting a ton of takeaways, but obviously that means they're holding on to the football. Yeah, I mean, they um, – you know, you look at Baker has only one interception in the last four weeks. Um, so, you know, he's not giving the – he had a fumble, but he's not giving the ball away, and they're taking the ball away. Antoine Winfield Jr., in my mind, should not only be – an all pro, but probably the defensive player of the year. I mean, if you, you want to look at, you take away the sack numbers, right? Don't just focus on the sack numbers, which they love to do. Look at impact on a team and, and who has impacted the team the most, who has kept them out in games, who has won them games. Sam Tolentville Jr. I mean, for safety, he's got over 100 tackles, three interceptions, four you know fumble recoveries, five forced fumbles, five sacks. He's been doing it in every single way possible a safety can do it. And he's been a huge catalyst of that. So I, I think, you know, you look at him and what he's been able to do as far as generating turnovers, I think he's, he, he should at least be on the ballot, if not a top three, if not the top guy, but a top three guy as far as that. And, you know, other guys have stepped up and contributed too. And, and like I just said, yeah, Diaby had that forced fumble, fumble recovery. So it's all, you know, Baker not making mistakes with the football. A lot of it too is, you know, Rashad White has been really sound and secure with the ball, not fumbling. Um, you know, there hasn't been many turnovers as far as, um, you know, tip balls off wide receivers' hands. They're either in the dirt or they're caught. Um, 
you know, so th- that's been huge too. You know, you see a lot of those t- times, sometimes quarterbacks, you know, they have those, those interceptions and they start piling up because they're going off guys' fingertips. That really hasn't happened this year. Baker's had a few tipped at the line and intercepted. That's been a big issue. Him, you know, you know guys with, with longer arms can get in the way and knock some balls down, but they haven't resulted in many turnovers. So that's been a huge plus for them as well. You, you dealing with a cat over there? What's going on? I got a cat. I got kids. It's spring break, man. It's on that. My wife is working in, in my, um, in, in my office. So it's like, it's, I'm out in the kitchen trying to just survive the wilderness, you know? Gotcha. I understood. Um, you know, I, I, I know, break. Winter break. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it, it is funny. Cause it's like, we talked a lot about a lot of things this bucks have done well, but they did have that stretch where they went one in six. So I guess my question is, when things weren't going well, what was going wrong? You know, what what are kind of the pitfalls that this team has run into when it has run into them? Because that's, you know, it's kind of strange because we've, we talked about this before we came on, you know, from what I've seen of the Bucks, it's been spectacular. I've paid pretty close attention for that three and one start, which included that pretty sound win over the Saints. And I've paid pretty close attention over the last several weeks because getting ready for this matchup. But in between that, it was, you know, down in flames for a period of time. So what right. did go wrong during that stretch? It was Bucks beating Bucks. Um, really, that's what it came down to. It was, you know, taking themselves out of position in scoring drives with penalties, um, you know, making bonehead mistakes in coverage lapses, letting guys get behind you for those big, great, big games. Really, if you look back at the tape, the Bucks have never been out of a game at halftime. Not to any of, not to San Francisco, not to the Bills, not to the Eagles, not to any of these top Lions, not to any of these top teams in the NFL, especially in the NFC, have they been out of a game at halftime. After halftime, during that streak, there was just self-destruct mode. They'd get holding penalties, false start penalties, defensive pass interference penalties. They'd be miscommunication on the defensive end to let guys just book it down the field behind them. That was a huge part of why they were losing those games, not being able to finish games out. Some of the turnovers happened in there as well with Baker. But, you know, that was a huge thing. It's just beating themselves um, because they were either beating teams or down one score in every game this season that they've lost. So they've kind of cleaned up penalties a lot. Um, obviously, Baker's not turning the ball over as much. Um, the defensive is tight, kind of tightened up a little bit. They're not giving, you know, they're still giving up explosives, but not explosives to beat them. Their red zone defense is tightened up. Their red zone offense has has produced a little bit more as well. And again, that all goes back to experience, right? Finding their groove in the system, finding their groove as players, finding their groove as play callers. You know, that was a adversity point. And they're coming out of that, you know, now with a chance to close out the season strong and, and potentially make a splash in the playoffs where you look, especially in the last couple of weeks in the NFC, the top dogs have all gotten beaten in upsets. You know, it's like there's no one has really... I mean, I guess you can look to San Francisco and say, yeah, they're probably the best team in the league, but, you know, at least in the NFC, but they, they've shown that they can be beatable. The Bucks nearly beat them. You know, the Eagles, the Bucks nearly beat them. You know, it's, it, I think it's wide open for the Bucks if they can continue to make a splash. Now, I'm not picking them as Super Bowl favorites or anything like that. I just think that once they get into the dance, I always thought their ceiling was, okay, maybe their absolute ceiling was upset a team on wildcard weekend, you know, like that was their division. And then they're, they're bounced out. So um, I have them at 10 and seven. They win these last two games. They're at 10 and seven, but if they can, you know, stay 
not beating themselves and continue the play that they've had, you know, they've got a chance to you know, maybe end someone's uh, playoff run a little early. Curious, you know, the uh, weather forecast at all for New Year's Day, uh, New Year's Eve in, in Tampa. Uh, I'm not <laughs> know if it's going to be a, a chilly one or expecting any rain or just a normal uh, game day experience. It looks like it's going to be 42 low, 66 high, <laughs> sunny. So okay. great football weather. Yep. So I have to bring a jacket. <laughs> it's chilly in Florida at 66. My friends up north, they all like say I'm crazy. I'm like, well, you guys don't understand. It's a different type of cold. Right. Yeah, trust me. I, it, well, and there's not the the level of humidity either that we get here to keep it a little warmer. Right. Um, that's so. uh, yeah, guys. I've I've been to that stadium before, but it was for uh, I think I drove down for a Giants game like back in like 20, 2013 or something. And, um, that pirate ship still still freaks me out every time it goes off. That's I have great. not every time. Yeah, the pirate ship's great. They had it all dressed up um in Christmas lights uh recently, but yeah. Gotcha. Well, JC, appreciate it. I've been talking to JC Allen, Bucks reporter and writer for Sports Illustrated's Bucks Game Day. Also hosts a podcast called Pirate Parlay. Check it out. Saints seven and eight, Bucks eight and seven. Going at it this weekend. Woohoo! Let's do it. <laughs> NFC South on the line, baby. Thanks uh, so much for your time, man. And uh, say hi to your cat for me. Absolutely. I and the kids. They're all here right now. You can find oh, yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk to you Thank guys you. later. Appreciate you, right, man. Thanks. Absolutely. Bye. All right. Thanks again to JC for coming on. You know, this is the first, well, you know, it's, I, I appreciate that this is the second rematch we've had in both times. We've had the same guest from the, the earlier matchup. And I, I, it is, it is funny to go back and kind of hear the, hear the tone and everything. You know, it's like we had, we had Des Desmond Johnson on and it was like a week two, it was all this hope and optimism around <laughs> what could happen with that team. And, you know, by week, by week, what was it? Uh, 14, 13? I think it was week 14. It was just like, just get it over with. Just end it. <laughs> uh, and, and then it's, but with, but with JC, it's like, I think that week four, there was like cautious optimism with that Bucks team. But there was this idea that it was like, yeah, this is still, you know, a project. Right. And now it's like eight and seven, like, fuck Yeah. Even even though after that game, they, that is the funny thing. It's like again the Saints, and I said this like the Saints have only seen the Bucks at at high points. They've not seen the Bucks at low points, and the entirety between the games was low points. You know, they a one in six stretch in this season, and they're going to win the NFC South. Think about that. That's what it's like. What makes this season even? You know, you look at you look at just everything that's happened with the Saints, the teams around them. And it's just a just a sad season uh, overall with this this Saints squad. A, a lot of disappointment, considering what we all thought when we saw this schedule. Yeah, the, the frustration is that it's 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 not over, but it feels over, right? Because even if the Saints win this week, they would need the Panthers to beat the Bucks in Week 18. But I think for the pride of this Saints team, right? If like I think it is an important whether they make the playoffs or not, I think the ability to go out, whether you think Dennis Allen is the future, like there's a lot of members of this roster that you need to depend on going forward. And I would really like to see them show some pride and go out there and, and win this game. Right. You know, they've played well in the state of Florida, you know, but like, like they, it was not that long ago. They went out there with Dennis Allen in 2020 and won nine to nothing. Right. Like this, this team has played well in that stadium. And so, you know, it would be nice 
two at, and and the, the funny thing is like the bucks are a game over 500 right it would be nice to kind of force them to take a seat and be like we are a 500 football team heading into week 18 and then have to force them to make that decision of like is baker really the guy cuz is like they also played in the dog shit division right like they if they were a good team wouldn't they be you know 10 and 7 at minimum right so I, I don't know. I just think it's funny because they're going to be what well, you know, they're going to be the ones that have to make that decision now of like, is this good enough? Do we need to? Because I don't know if that is. And, you know, at least the Saints aren't the only ones. That's, that's all I'm going to say. No, I, I'm very curious to, to see, too, is like I, I don't see how you don't pay Baker, but how much are they willing to dole out to him? Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, like, so is it going to be like a Jameis deal, right? Like what Jameis is currently on, right? He What did he sign? Two years, 26. I imagine that would be kind of where it is. But like, like, or is it the Geno deal, right? It depends how, how much hardball Baker is going to play. Because right. I can't, I, I don't think Baker has less leverage than Geno did. So it's really more of a question of how committed are the Bucks to this to this project? And we'll have to see. And I think, but I think going out and winning the NFC South this week, like I think there's a lot at stake for both of these teams. And it's a little bit more than just winning the division, particularly for Baker. Like if, if like the Bucks finishing 10 and seven and winning it on their terms feels like, I guess they wouldn't have to because it, they, they actually would clinch with a win this week. But either, yeah. like I think clinching the NFC South this week and allowing for that week of rest Whereas, like, compared to losing this week and having to back in with a win over the Panthers, would feel very different. But maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just speaking through black and gold colored glasses here. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, you, you got to worry. I would think, though, if you're Bucks, obviously you've seen what's happened. You know, with Baker in the past, he's he's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde type of player, and who's to say that he doesn't revert back to? you know, his bad Baker ways next season. They start giving him Hulu commercials again and he like falls <laughs> off a cliff. I right. do he's, think, you know, he's talking about being locked in Raymond James stadium instead of, you know, the other yeah, Cleveland stadium. <laughs> right. You know, it, it is funny. And Nick, everyone, you kind of just look past it, but I, I, I feel like there is a pretty solid correlation between having way too much advertising and not being as good at football as you were when they gave you that advertising. It's pretty wild. Like, like like all I see on TV are Pat Jaylen Mahomes Hurts. and Travis Kelsey, right? Jalen Hurts. Suddenly, you know, and Baker, right? But Baker got that advertising because he was good in 2020. And then it just all kind of fell off a cliff, right? Uh, and I just think it's it's funny. Like it's like there has to be there, – there is a – there does feel like there's a correlation. Even between, I'll say Cam Jordan had a little – you know, it's has had a drop off this year. He had that Caesars commercial. Caesar, yeah, Little, little Caesars. Caesars. Little Caesars, yeah. right. <laughs> he had several Little Caesars commercials, <laughs> and they're funny, and I appreciate them. But, like, the quality of the commercials does not seem to correlate to the quality of the play. I totally agree with that, man. And now we're looking at It's like all I see on TV is Travis Kelsey and Pat Mahomes talking to Jake from State Farm, whose real name is Kevin. <laughs> I looked this up because I was like, what happened to the original Jake from State Farm? <laughs> I guess they didn't, they didn't pay him. Whose name was actually Jake. I think his name is Jake Stone in real life. 
Um, now it's Kevin Miles, uh, who I'm sure like he, you know, you would be, you, you would be flabbergasted by how much money those like top spokesmen make like flow from progressive makes an insane oh, amount. Ridiculous, Kevin right. from State Farm. Uh, Jake from State Farm, whose name is Kevin. Um, but yeah, anyway, I don't even know. Yeah. So if the Bucks, if the Bucks want to re-sign Baker to a long-term deal, they have to add a clause in there that says you are only allowed, like, you know how the Kyler had like the, the study requirement, like yeah. Baker will have to have like a like an advertising minimum where you know I think you can only be in you can only spend like two hours per week on commercial shoots. <laughs> yeah, because you know, obviously he's he's a good personality, and I'm sure that the Tampa Bay market's gonna wanna, you know, flood those uh commercial waves with uh picks of Baker or who knows what's gonna happen there. Yeah. The NIL of the NFL. Yes. <laughs> but all right, let's wrap up that segment. We're gonna come back. I want to talk about what Mickey Loomis said this week uh, about drafting quarterbacks, which is, you know, effectively a no comment, which I think is interesting. And then we're going to hit on X-Factors as we do heading into this Week 18 matchup with the Bucs. Saints still alive in the playoffs, but barely. And that is where I'll leave it. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow him at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. And who that will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. One more segment here as we prepare for Saints at Bucks. You know, Saints went into that week 16 game with the worst possible travel setup in terms of traveling cross country on a short week. Now you go into week 17 with the easiest possible travel setup, 10 days off and a puddle jumper flight over the Gulf to face Tampa. But you know, it's, I'm still not feeling good about it. You know, I, I, I'd like to, you know, maybe I'm overreacting. I, I, I am, I am, I get, I do fall into the recency bias thing. 
when you watch them beat the heck out of the Jags. And granted, Trevor Lawrence feels like a shell of himself right now that he was earlier in the season. They've beat the shit out of the Jags. <laughs> I mean, like that, they, a lot of times I'll, I'll hold out hope and I'll be like, oh, this game isn't over at halftime. That game was over yeah. at halftime. And, and it's like not only because of Trevor Lawrence, like the Bucks just played well. And I think if the Saints see that same Bucks team, they don't have much of a chance this week. It's obviously a tough go. I'm holding out hope for this team just because it is a divisional opponent. You know how all bets are off kind of deal when you when you're facing an NFC South rival, and uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Honestly, in the finale, that Carolina can do something magical and and knock them off. If the, you know the Saints can take care of their business, winning their last two. And then, man, the game's in in Carolina, and uh, maybe Bryce Young uh, <laughs> wants to go out on a high note with that offense, and able is able to do something. But yeah, that that's a, a whole other story we'll get into, I'm sure, next week more as well. But I feel you. Yeah, the, the the being it was kind of embarrassing watching what what transpired uh, in that game with the Rams. I was just completely and utterly baffled on how just Stafford and that Rams receiving core was able to pick the Saints apart. Yeah, and I think that's contributed to the just general feeling that this season is completely over because if you watch how that game went, how could you possibly look at the Saints team as one that can win games? Yeah. Um, And and the funny thing is that we talked last week about how, you know, it's like the Saints are in that middle tier, but they're at the bottom of it. And someone someone responded who said, they're not at the bottom of the middle. They're at the top of the bottom. And I was like, that's the same thing. <laughs> talking about the same team. <laughs> like, what are you talking like, about? Like, sure. What, what do you want? What do you want to argue with me about right there? Right. <laughs> what, what are we arguing about? That's that's literally the same thing. Fine. Say that. But it, well, one way or the We're other, the that's top of the work, guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, we don't have to argue about everything. We're saying the same fucking thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and that kind of leads me into... Well, what Mickey Loomis was asked this week by Bobby Hebert, and you know, the funny thing is, so for context, this is kind of how the how the sausage gets made here. You know, this week Mickey Loomis was on kind of a combination Saints Hour coaches show, which the coaches right. show is usually Dennis Allen, but because of the holiday, there was no coaches show on Monday, so the Saints Hour was on Tuesday, and. That was that show is Bobby Aber and Mike Haas. And so it's typically just Mike interviewing Mickey. And when Bobby gets involved, you'll get a little bit more off the wall questions because Bobby will not be silenced. Um, and so Mickey was asked about whether they would look at a quarterback in the draft. And, you know, I tweeted his answer just so, so it was on the record because I thought people would be interested in how he reacted to that answer. And uh, here, here's that question and the answer. You know, Mickey, fans have, uh, have asked me, and uh, I'm just a voice of the fans, and I'm just trying to keep it in the right perspective. When you look at, like, the quarterback position, much is given, much is required, and it changes year to year. And you can always, it's always hindsight. You look in, in the past or what happens in the future. For instance, like Alex Smith. He was a solid Kansas City Chief quarterback. Then they draft uh, Patrick Mahomes. We win the bidding of Pat Mahomes. You probably were part of that with Sean Payton, obviously. We got Marshawn Lattimore, uh, how that played itself out. But uh, the question I have for you, 
Are y'all willing right now, even though you have the money invested in Derek Carr, are y'all willing to maybe draft a future quarterback, whether it be a Jane Daniels from LSU or whatever, that, okay, not only 20, uh, 24, then you got to look at 2025, because, you know, fans have told me, well, look, Alex Smith, he was the quarterback for one year, then they pass, uh, passed the torch. And uh, we all know what occurred there. So uh, is that a possibility that you could draft a quarterback uh, if you really like him, like high in this draft, and maybe make moves to move up to get the quarterback of the future beyond Derek Carr? Right, look, Bobby, you're asking me to speculate about the future and we're in the middle of the season. I'm not going to do that. Um yeah, that, that's a, that's a silly what if exercise. So I'm I'm not even going to go down that path. Yeah, and so I tweeted that answer not because it's an answer, but because I thought just people would be interested to see. Okay, this is how he responded to it. And the funny thing to me is it's not reacting to like like the the majority of the the reaction is what does he mean? They're in the middle of the season. There's two games left, and blah blah blah. And I was like, really? That's what we're taking away from this? We're policing the term in the middle of which is just like, that's just how English works. Like, that's just how the, like, we've all sat here and heard words said before. And we can understand that, like, in the middle of something means it's ongoing. It's not saying, like, we're exactly halfway through the season. <laughs> it's like, like, people are just looking for any reason to be mad about what Mickey says, what TA says. And like, that's a stretch. But, you know, I, I, I actually, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that answer. I think he was pretty, you know, one thing that's been pretty clear as this season has gone on, in my opinion, in listening to these interviews, which I do every week, is that Mickey's fuse has gotten a lot shorter in terms of how he's going to how he's going to react to questions that he doesn't appreciate. And that was one of those instances where he could have just been like, I'm not talking about that now. But, you know, like it was like the uh, the the lazy and uneducated thing all over again, where it's just like this. Uh, I mean, it's a reasonable question. You don't have to answer it. Everybody's um, aggravated or fed up meter is, I think, at an all time high right now. So ex- exactly. And that's kind of what I'm what I'm kind of leading into. It's I think if you're if like Mickey does a very good job of presenting a very measured, even keeled demeanor approach tone. But I think like there is there is frustration if you read between the lines and you kind of just can kind of understand like that fuse is getting shorter because the front office is, is, is as frustrated as a lot of other people out there. Maybe not as frustrated. I think it's, there's always a middle ground, but like if you're, if you think that this front office is sitting there being like, you know, the, the dog in the fire or it's like, this is fine. You know, I, I don't think that that's what's happening now. They're not going to make all of the decisions that you want them to make in terms of if it was up to a lot of fans, they would have fired Dennis Allen after like week three of the 2022 season, right? Like that's, we would have never even gotten to this point. But I do think that there will be, you know, it's not a question of, and I said, I said this earlier in the season, it's not a question of whether changes will be made. It's how broad and sweeping they are. Yeah. And will that include drafting a quarterback? I, I, I almost think, and, and, I know I'll get flack for this, but I almost think this is the wrong year to draft a quarterback because of the uncertainty with the head coach, at least in terms of drafting a quarterback, like trading, you know, so if you want Jaden Daniels and your only option is to go all in and give up a ton of draft picks and go up and get them. Even if you brought in a new head coach, there would be a lot of question marks around, 
okay, what does this coach want? How does this coach going to build? Where is the offense going to look like this and that? And I don't know if you can establish that in year one under a new head coach. And if you decide not to do that and you decide to keep Dennis Allen and rebuild the offensive staff, that would mean that you are going all in for a quarterback on a, with a coach with probably the shortest leash on the planet. So like, I, I don't know if this is the year to draft a quarterback, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to what happens over these final two games. Cause your draft slot can change a lot in these final two weeks. Right. And so, no GM on the planet is going to dive into, yeah, 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 this is what we're looking at. This is the quarterback we're going to draft right. in week 17. He's not going to do that at any point, but he's definitely not going to do that in week 17 because, and I quote, you are in the middle of a season. And that is accurate because <laughs> the season is ongoing. This is the middle. The end is over there. You can see the end, but you're still in it. And so, yeah, like I think the same reason I'm not going to really get into draft talk right now is the same reason that Mickey's like, why are you even asking me about the draft right now? We're trying to win a we're trying to win a game. Right. You're not even you're not talking flight. You're talking draft. A draft. Draft. We're trying to go to the playoffs. Graphics. <laughs> What's crazy though is as you know, and mock drafts are I, I can't stand them, honestly. And I, we've been seeing them come out already. And I'm seeing the Saints at number eleven drafting Jaden Daniels. And I'm like, how is that possible? Well, because mock drafts are dumb. <laughs> That's why. Uh, and, I, and then you get to the draft and Jaden Daniels goes at number five and you'd be like, well, but my mock well, draft what? said this. I was going to be available at 11. Yeah. Well, well, and the funny thing is like, and, and here's the thing, a lot of the quarterbacks, I'm sorry, a lot of the teams at the top of the draft are going to be quarterback needy teams. So when you get into it, the options are not necessarily going to be draft a quarterback or don't draft a quarterback. Your options are going to be give up a ton of assets and trade up for a quarterback or sit where you are and take the best player available. And when you have a lot of quarterbacks going off the board early, some of those players are going to be elite tackles or, you know, like, like I, I think like people complain about the offensive line, but then they're like, Oh, they're just going to draft a lineman. I'm like, yeah, but that's what you should do. You know, like that's what you have to do. Like the, one of the biggest issues for this team is that you don't have a left tackle. Protect Eric. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but they shared a clip of um, the Christmas Day game uh, where Alvin ran for six touchdowns. And they were like, the crazy thing is this is basically the same offensive line, except you don't have Teron Armstead. We're like, yeah, except you're saying that, yeah, this is the same group, except you don't have the far and away best player out of these five players. That's a fucking big difference. It's not a, It's not like, well, the four of the five is like, yeah, but your best player isn't there. You know, it's like saying the 2021 uh, receiver groups. Oh, it's basically the same, except you don't have Mike Thomas. Like, yeah, but that's, mm, right. that's important, <laughs> you know? And also it's like, yeah, but you're also talking about Andres Peter, the guard who's playing left tackles. Like he's the same guy, but he's at the, he's not at the same position. And Ryan Ramchick three years later has <laughs> his knee is gone. So it's not the same. It is nowhere near the same. It's like just because it's the same players, yeah, that's you. You could say the same offensive line from 2010. You could put the same offensive line on the field in 2016. That doesn't mean it's the same quality. And like, so to me, it's like you're gonna look at this draft, and everyone's gonna be climbing over themselves to say, draft Jaden Daniels, draft this guy, draft this guy, draft a quarterback. And it's like you you look at these teams who do that, and they bring in the quarterback without a system around them to protect the quarterback right and then you see what happens uh so i like i'm just gonna say it right now i 
I will fully endorse the Saints taking a left tackle. If there's a left tackle, like a high-end left tackle on the board, um, because that's what you need in the NFL. So that's uh, that's that. Anything else you want to add? No, with with the Saints too, man. It's like, yeah, right now we, we know Derek Carr is not going anywhere, whether folks like it or not. And I'm with you. You got to protect the guy. We've seen him get roughed up way too much th- this season already. Yeah, and like I think people, they'll look at the draft and they'll say, well, if only they had hit on these picks. It's like one of the picks that you missed on was you trying to add that left tackle. And one of the reasons that you're struggling so much is because you missed on that pick. Yeah. Right? Like it's it's just, you know, I, 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 I just think people will look at the end result and not look at the bigger picture of like, when you when you add a quarterback to a roster that is built your odds of winning regardless of whether that quarterback is high like i would rather have a a middle of the road quarterback with a built up roster that can protect him rather than an elite quarterback that's just you know running for his life at every given opportunity unless that quarterback is lamar jackson (laughs) (laughs) then you just have to watch out for referees taking him out then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you just have to draft him instead of trading up for Marcus Davenport, and you'll be just fine. Wah, wah. I have seen people comparing Jane Daniels to Lamar Jackson. I'm like, have you watched Jane Daniels play? <laughs> like, it's this the typical. It's the it's the standard. We're we're gonna, like I I saw someone they they compared Jaden Daniels to Lamar Jackson as the comp, and then they compared Drake May to like Josh Allen or somebody like that. I can't remember, and it was like. That's not the comparison. Jaden Daniels and Lamar Jackson are not similar. They just, but they both run, but they run in very different ways. And it's like, just, it's like, I guess frame too, you could at least say. I, I heard. See, horrible. I disagree with that. I think Jaden Daniels is more of a, more of a Teddy Bridgewater frame, if anything. I don't think, I don't think that Jaden Daniels and Lamar Jackson are similar at all, other than the fact that they both run for a lot of yards, but they do it <laughs> in vastly different ways. And it's, I just think it's funny. It was like, we're going to compare Lamar, Jaden Daniels to Lamar Jackson because, Demar Jackson runs, but like if you you've watched Jaden Daniels, Jaden Daniels isn't yeah. isn't he, he's running, but he's running a straight line, <laughs> you know, like like he's fast, but he's not juking people in the backfield. He's not running thirty yards back from the line. Like they're completely different players, and Demar is better. But it's just it, it's you you need a pocket passer who can run, and that's what Jaden Daniels. is. That's why I like Jaden Daniels, but he's not Lamar Jackson. There's only one Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I've I've heard even terrible comp. I forget who it was was saying that comparing Jaden Daniels to Jalen Hurts, and to me that was ridiculous too. You know, I, I actually, in terms of their play style, I actually agree. Other than the other than the QB draws in the middle, like it, like he's right. not. The difference is like the frame, but yes. what they try to do is similar. Like you don't see, like you see Jalen Hurts run for a lot of yards, but you see him running in a straight line and then getting out of bounds, right? Like he's not juking people downfield and he is trying to stay in the pocket and get the ball out as a passer. And when he does throw it, he can throw some, some dimes. Whereas Lamar, I don't think his arm is, is at the elite level that a Jaden Daniels is, but he can do so much with his legs that it's such an X factor that as long as he can avoid those big hits and be smart about it, then, uh, you know, he can, they can beat anybody. But I actually think from a, from a play style perspective, Jalen Hurts is a better comp. But Jalen Hurts squats 600 pounds, right? Like Jalen, right. like everyone talks about the tush push. It's just like, oh, it's like, oh, anyone can do this. Like, no, Jalen Hurts can do that because Jalen Hurts is built like a tree stump. Yeah. Like, and you have an elite center too, help it out. 
Yeah, but I mean, like the reason that works is because you have Jason Kelsey, who is very good. And it's like, it's not, like people talk about the people pushing him. It's not really the people pushing him. It's the fact that Jalen Hurts is able to, yeah. you know, he, he he looks almost like, I, I saw Saquon Barkley doing what Jalen Hurts was doing in that game against the Eagles. And it was a two-point conversion where like, it was like the reason it worked is because Saquon Barkley has the strongest lower body on the planet. And he's just like in there, just, you know, like working like a jackhammer. But like, that's something that Jaden can't do. Like, that's why like, everyone gets obsessed with comps. Um, and it's like, the, the, it's not as simple as saying, well, this guy's ceiling is this guy. And this guy's ceiling is this guy. It's an amalgamation of 20 different things. And at the end of the day, it's so much more about what's in their head than, you know, every, every quarterback coming in has elite traits, right? So why isn't every quarterback successful? Where in a lot of cases, it's because that shift from the college game is a lot more about processing and your ability to, to identify and, and adjust than it is, you know, the, having a golden arm, you know, otherwise Ryan Mallett would be a hall of famer. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Um, all right, let's, let's close this out with some X factors uh, going into that bucks game. We, we know how they played in week one, week four, I should say, um, you know, what, what would you say is the X factor for the saints on defense in this game? Uh, I always uh, focus on the D line this week. I'm, I'm yes, looking at do. the secondary Jeff, just because of how, pathetic it looked against the Rams and I'm a little concerned here obviously no Marshawn Lattimore we talked about it a little bit uh with our Bucks guest and who's who's going to be taking care of Mike Evans in this matchup because man oh man he's been on a tear this season leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns but yeah I'm looking at the everybody in the secondary to respond in some kind of way because Puka Nakua Cooper Cup uh, and whoever it was for the Rams just were able to eat up and tear apart this Saints secondary. Yeah, it's going to, they do it in different ways, right? You know, like one of the things the Rams did a lot of, and it was a big part of the reason Lalante was benched is they run a ton of motion and you got to yeah. handle that. The Bucks don't do a ton of that. Although, like Lalante said, they, they might see that film and be like, hey, this is something we're going to do more of. So you got to handle it if they do. I think, you know, the Godwin matchup might be a bigger matchup in terms of, you know, like I think the Saints still like even without Marshawn, you know, I think they do have the physical corners on the outside that can battle with Mike. You're not going to win every time. But I think that that matchup in the middle with Chris Godwin coming out of the slot is going to be very difficult. And it's going to be on Alante, who is coming off of probably his worst game to to match up. So, you know, I, I, I think the secondary is a good pick there. Um if I'm going back to week four and the, the one of the things that made that game feel impossible to win two things, one is stopping the run on first down, um, which they were not able to do very well at all. Like Keyshawn Vaughn didn't have a huge game, but uh, it was the first down yardage. You're talking about four yards, five yards, six yards on first down makes like a lot easier on the offense. And Saints weren't able to stop Kyron Williams last week. Uh, and, but they need to be like what people ask, DA, well, why didn't Zach Bond get more snaps? I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. Why did he only get nine, 10 snaps? Well, it's because you didn't, like, he's a situational pass rusher. He's not a full time defensive end. He's a guy you get on the field in third and medium to third and long situations. Like, he's not getting on the field in third and three, right? He's getting on the field in third and five, third and seven, third and 10, third and 13, right? Those are the pass rush downs. And you just didn't get many of them. And a big part of that is because you didn't stop the run against the Giants. You did, right? That's one of the biggest differences. And you saw a Giants team go out and look solid. 
they, they looked like a team that could win a game against the Eagles, right? And it's a big part is because they were able to run the ball. Tyrod Taylor is going to start again this week. So I think that gives the Giants a much better chance to win. But um, to me, that's it. Can you stop the run on first down and even second down? And also on third down, can you get Baker to the ground? Like when, when you look at the, the mobile quarterbacks yeah. the Saints have faced and the guys that the Saints have not been able to sack, Baker has to be the most frustrating because he is by far the least athletic of all the quarterbacks that have gave, given you troubles. Right? Baker's not a guy who should be able to just run around and make uh, seven guys miss. And hopefully, you know, like one of the things that you didn't have in that matchup last uh, week four, feels like last year, was Zach Bond in the pass rush, right? So if you can get them into third and long situations, is Zach Bond able to make an impact in this game? Where, like that's one of the few things that the Saints have changed and are doing differently now than they were in week in week four. So hopefully that's because there were several situations in that game the Saints had a chance to get to Baker and get him to the ground and, and make a game-changing play or end a drive early. And instead he would scramble for seven, eight yards and extend a drive and then you have a 13-play drive for a touchdown, right? And that, those types of drives completely demoralize the defense. So to me, that's the, th- th- that's the X fact. Can you stop running on first down, and can you get Baker to the ground on third and long? If you can do that, then that week four game is a lot closer than it was, right? And you, you had Ike Adam in that game, too. You had him going up against – you had him filling in for Paulson Debo in that game. Um, so, yeah, I think to, to me that's it. But – Let's let's shift gears here. Um, what about offense for you, man? I, I still don't know if this team knows how how they're using Taysom Hill. Um, a question mark last week. Uh, once again, it just seemed he was completely tossed aside and not even considered. And then there's other weeks where the involvement is, you know, I, I'm, I like the snaps that he's getting. He seems to be, you know, more involved with the offense. But to me, the, the, this Buccaneers team, for whatever reason, Taysom seems to have pretty good games against Tampa, and I just want to see him know. What he, Absolutely not. What are you talking about? I, I'm just thinking about, I guess, uh, he had a block. In 2020, he did. In 2020, he did. That 38-3 to game, he did. But again, when you have a lead and you can pound the Taysom Hill offense, that's the different equation. But the last few times they've placed the, faced the Bucs, he has not. So, like, you're, t- you're thinking about 9 nothing. Right, like he started that game, um, but yeah, I just recalled him too having a block punt in in Tampa. Yeah, well, I mean that was a long time ago. But so you're talking about week week two, week four. I keep saying week two. He had one completion for 13 yards. He had four rushes for 10 yards. Yeah, I just uh, I miss his physicality uh, last game, and I just think the Saints need to bring that against the Buccaneers. I guess uh, that that's yeah. really it for me. I, I just appreciate that tough running physical style. And I know the saints are going to have to, they're going to, they're going to need that against Tampa. And I think you you just got to get Taysom more involved. His lack of touches last game seemed pretty eye popping. Yeah. I mean, so last year he had six carries for 24 yards um, in those two games in 2021. He obviously started the second game. Even then it was 11 carries for 33 yards. He didn't play in the the other matchup. 2020 was the last time you could look at it and say he's had a good game against Tampa. In the 38-3 to game, he had seven carries for 54 yards. And in the week one game, three carries for 13 yards. So I, I, I think part of it is, you know, the, 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 the Taysom offense 
doesn't work as well when you're going up against very athletic linebackers and, and like a strong D line. Oh, right. Yeah, that they have and, for sure. And that's what the Bucks have in, 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 in waves. Right. And so, you know, I, like I, it's also like last week, I didn't see the Taysom offense do like when you run Taysom and he loses three yards, that's the, the reason that part of the offense works. It's because it's like a programmed two to five yard gain with the potential to break it for a long game gain. But like when you're losing yards, that's as good as a penalty because you're taking the quarterback off the field. So you're not able to make sight adjustments and, and change the play the way that you might be able to otherwise. And then you know, they're able to load up and do what they want to do to stop that because you're like, again, and I'm going to go back to it. My issue isn't so much, well, they're not pounding Taysom Hill into the line eight times a game. My issue is that you're using Taysom in only predictable ways. Right. And he is a guy whose entire skill set is being unpredictable. Like, that's what drives me nuts. And they have gotten him more involved as a receiver. But again, it's like, there you should have instances where you get a certain look with taste, you you send Taysom out there in a package of Derek Carr. You get a certain look, and you have the option to check into a Taysom run because they're giving you a dime look with Taysom on the field, right? Like, why do we never do that? And that's what drives me nuts about the Taysom package <laughs> because it's like the whole point of Taysom Hill is that you can take advantage of the other team by doing something that they can't defend. Because, but but you never take advantage of that. You only use Taysom in situations where the optimal defensive grouping is on the fields and that's so dumb to me it's so dumb to me it's an indictment on the creativity of this offensive staff and they're using Taysom in the just the most simple predictable ways and I don't think the answer is to do that more I guess you you would you could do that more right like you could do it more but I don't think that would solve your issues I think you need to take advantage of Taysom throwback passes, right? Like stuff that's creative. Like you have a guy who can run the ball or throw the ball, yet you only put him in situations where he's either going to run it or throw it. There are no options. The, 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 you mentioned the creativity. It's like, yeah, well, we have a, a huge red zone target that all he does is catch touchdowns, but for some reason we don't decide to use him either. I mean, they've used him more. <laughs> they only got into the red zone once again. I mean, like I'm not going to fault them for using Jimmy Graham in the red zone I'm going to fault them for not using Jimmy Graham in the red zone. And they, against the Rams, they didn't really get into the red zone. They got in the red zone once and they scored, which I think was a touchdown pass to Juwan Johnson. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing. It's like, you know, that game went terribly, but they did score. They went one for one in the red zone. So if you look at it, like this team is like rapidly climbing up the red zone efficiency charts because they think they're 10 of their last 11 in terms of touchdowns in the red zone, which is actually pretty remarkable efficiency, <laughs> but it hasn't resulted in a win uh, when you needed it. I mean, it did, you know, you did have two wins, so it's not like you're, you're looking at that. Like that's the frustrating thing is, is like this team is still in position to potentially finish four out of five, but they just haven't been able to string that third win together. I've also had people telling me that, that Dennis Allen is the worst thing that's ever happened to head coaching in the NFL. And I'm like, have you guys didn't know like urban Meyer exists? We'll, we'll get into that. That's a, that's another conversation for another day. Um, but I agree like getting, uh, being creative on offense and, and finding ways to just not be so predictable to me is, is my X factor. And so whether that's through Taysom Hill or whether that's through, you know, the tight ends and Jimmy Graham and like, I don't need trick plays, 
right? I don't need fancy footwork and, and end rounds and reverse passes and stuff like that. But I do think that the fact that we just have seen literally none of that is pretty indicative of how little creativity goes into this offense. Like whether it's motions or, or whatever. And, and to me, that was the biggest, the biggest difference last week. If you're looking at where this offense is compared to where a good, well-constructed NFL offense is, is like watching how like the Sean McVay offense approached that game compared to a Pete Carmichael offense. It looked like they were in different leagues and, and the Saints moved the ball, right? But like it, it's just not – you're not doing anything that's really making life difficult on the defense. And it's hard to even call that an X factor because I don't expect it to happen. But that's – to me, that's one of the big issues for this offense is it's so bland and so predictable and you can't even seem to do your basic stuff well. So I don't, I, I don't even have an X factor. I'm just so frustrated by that. We need Pete Carmichael to get in his bag. I don't think that's the thing. I don't I think know if he's got a bag. A I think his bag is right? at the bottom <laughs> if it's not closed. So you try to put something in the bag and it just falls out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I will give him credit. Like he he does make a like he does change things up. I think I just don't think that he has the bandwidth to to really outclass other teams. Like I think he's a good game, and I'm talking about in-game type stuff. I'm talking about in the heat of the moment, coming up with something that's going to work. Like, I think he's a good game planner. I think he's a good coach, right? I just don't think that, like, it, like the in-game, like, decision-making, I just don't think that's his bag. And uh, so, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. And that's just, like, one of the myriad problems this team has to face this offseason. And it's going to be interesting to see if they do it and how they do it. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe some magic happens this final two weeks. And you know, I don't think it's going to change how a lot of people feel, even if they we did. We need a late time. Christmas miracle for sure. Yeah. That's, the, that, that's easily like the most demoralizing part of it is you could win this game and have this huge upset, or I don't know how huge it would be, a 7-8 and eight team being an 8-7 team, and then go out and beat the Falcons and still, like you've put yourself in a situation where that's not enough. And... That's the story of the last two seasons, right? Exactly. A lot of a lot of similarities there from last year to this year in that aspect, just the disappointing outcomes we've had. But there, there is still something to play for. I am still pulling for this team to make the playoffs. That's crazy, I know, as some people think yeah. that is. But, um, yeah, the, obviously the odds are not in the Saints' favor. I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to root for a loss. I, I think the, the way I approach situations like this, and trust me, as someone who's watched a lot of Giants games, this is a situation I found myself in quite a bit. So I can <laughs> give you some of that insight into how to approach a game when your team is no longer really in contention. And and I've always kind of felt like it's like I'm going to watch this game and I'm going to root for my team to win. And it's like you don't sit there and get mad if your team look, play, is playing really good football and looks good. You try to pull the positives out of it and you say, well, you need, you want young players to build and you want people to get players to get better and you want to see things developing. But, but what, what, where it helps is not during the game. Like you just get lost in the fact that you're watching a football game and you're rooting and you're just a fan of that team, right? That's, that's how I've always approached it. And then at the end, if and when your team does lose, that's where it's the benefit is of like, yeah, we lost, but that's probably for the best, right? That's, that's when that mood hits you. And again, I've had to do this a lot. 
<laughs> speaking so, from experience. I am speaking from experience because at the end of the day, you know, like I've watched, I've watched that Giants team, and and I don't watch them as closely anymore, you know, but uh, I was very invested in like the early two thousands, right, in like the early twenty tens, and trust me when I say picking at sixth compared to ninth, you can still mess up that pick. Trust me. It's easy to do. Go ask Eric Flowers. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Daniel Jones, right? Like, oh, man, we're going to take Daniel Jones at number six. They didn't even trade up for that. It was just like, oh. got it. All right. Well, yeah, that's it. That's the inside black and gold. Steve's <laughs> got to run. His mom's in town. They're going to yeah. they're gonna get Cheesecake Factory or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noick. You can follow him at Steve Geller WWL. I'll be out in Tampa. He will be hosting the pregame show on Sunday. And that includes the pregame show to the pregame show and the postgame show. Yay! So a busy day. It's been so much fun this year. Yeah, always. But thanks, everyone, for listening. Who dat? Go Saints. Beat the Bucks. Beat the Bucks. All right. Peace, y'all. Be easy. Who dat? <laughs>